It's such a privilege for us to be here with you this evening for this Good Friday service. And I don't know about you, but some of the most impactful services I've ever been a part of have been on Good Friday. And it's already begun that way as we've heard the word of God and sung about what Jesus did for us at the cross. And so, Pastor John, to you and, and your congregation, thank you so much for hosting us this evening. Uh, the Bible says, for by grace have you been saved through faith. And those three essentials are the core of every salvation story. It is by grace, through saving faith, that someone can say, I am saved. And as Jesus hung on the cross uh, that Good Friday, that first Good Friday, all three of those elements were magnified in the conversion of a thief to show the glory of the gospel. As three hours of darkness descended on Calvary, making it Dark Friday, so three essentials of the gospel descended on a thief, turning it into Good Friday. And isn't that the way it always is? Whenever the light of the gospel descends on the darkness of any human heart, Dark Friday can become Good Friday. I want us to look together for a few moments at the glory of the gospel. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 23. And I want to begin by reading verses 39 and 40. And you can follow along or, or listen as I read the word of God. Luke 23, starting at verse 39 and then verse 40. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Let's stop right there. By grace. By grace. No one had been more hateful. Luke here calls him a criminal. Mark and Matthew called him a robber. Josephus, the Jewish historian, called him a revolutionary. And it is very likely that he was a compatriot of Barabbas, who you know from the gospel record, was released instead of Jesus. So this man was an outlaw whose hands were no doubt stained with innocent blood. He promoted violence and murder against God-ordained authority. We could really say about him, he was a terrorist in every sense of the word, a first-century radical militant. Yet, yet, he is the only person in the Bible personally promised to go to heaven at the hour of his death. Can we say amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me? From a terrorist to a slave trader like John Newton to you and to me, it is by grace. Through faith, through faith, no one was more helpless Look at verse 41. And we indeed justly, he said, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. 
And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now think about this. In a few hours, he would be dead. He could do no penance to make up for the sins of his past. He could make no promises to do good deeds in the future. He could not join a church, get baptized, give his money or his service. Those things are the fruits of saving faith. And there's no question as he, as he lived, his life would have been changed. There's no doubt about that. But the fruits of saving faith are not the same as the essence of saving faith. All he could do is what anyone can do when their eyes are opened to their own helplessness. He expressed saving faith. And brothers and sisters, all the elements are right here. He admitted his sinful condition. He said, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. Do you know that's an extraordinary confession for a hardened terrorist? It seems easy to us, but it wasn't. Listen to what a crucified victim would normally do on the cross. Crucifixion victims filled with wrath and malice would normally rail at their tormentors in the crowd below as they were mocked and ridiculed through the cruel death that suffocated them. The only way to take revenge was to curse, swear, and pour out venomous hatred on their abusers. But this man, he became broken Repentant and contrite. What did we just read? A broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And then he believed in Jesus. As he heard the reaction of Jesus earlier in verse 34, Father, forgive them, he knew Jesus was no criminal. And then he read the gospel tract above Jesus' head. This is the king of the Jews. And he came to believe you're going to come in your kingdom. Now, let me ask you, who has a kingdom? A Lord does. Who rules that kingdom? A judge does. This man believed that he was the Lord, Jesus Christ. And then finally... He called for saving mercy. He said, Jesus, remember me. He cried for pity because he believed someday Jesus would come again as king and judge. I want you to listen to what one Bible teacher has done as he puts all of this together that's going on in this man's life as he confesses saving faith. Listen to this. Read his words again. We are punished justly, getting what we deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. The core of the gospel in one sentence. I am wrong. Jesus is right. I have failed. Jesus has not. I deserve to die. Jesus deserves to live. What he knew about Christ was precious indeed. He knew that an innocent man was dying an unjust death with no complaint on his lips. And if Jesus can do that, he just might be who he says he is. So the thief asks for help. 
He has no cover, no way to hide. His title, scum of the earth, his achievement, death by crucifixion, his reputation, criminal, his character, depraved until the last moment, until the final hour, until the last encounter, until by grace, until by faith. Whenever grace and saving faith come together, there's always salvation. And so you are saved. No one became more hopeful. Verse 33, 43. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What is amazing about this is the construction of Jesus' promise brings the word today forward in the sentence. So that's where the emphasis should lie. That is what was new. You see, it was not new that there was a paradise where the righteous would go someday until the resurrection. It was not new that an innocent one like Jesus would go there. And it was not new that a sinner might beg for mercy at the end. What was new? Today you sinner shall be with me Savior in paradise. We all know the words of Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. For by grace, through saving faith, you are saved. And all God's people said together, Amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Brian. Appreciate that. I ask you to stand with me again, and we'll sing the old rugged cross. Glory above to bear it to die. 
Ashamed I hear my 
remain standing if you would. We'll be reading Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our face from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, 
because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. We're going to sing one more song, and then you'll have a chance to be seated, okay? To see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful man, torn and beaten then, nailed to a cross of wood. This the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame for the wrath we stand for. Oh, to see the pain written on your face. bitter thought, every evil deed, crowning your blood-stained brow. This the power of the cross, Christ became sin for us, took the daylight flees, now the ground beneath quakes as its maker bows his head, curtain torn in two, dead are raised to life, finish the
Open God's words with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sakbathani, that is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there, when they heard it, began saying, this man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran, and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on the reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. And the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. As a child, it, it made a really big impact on me. Today wouldn't have worked because the sun has been shining all day. But I remember as a kid, I don't know, I was eight or nine years old maybe, at noon on Friday, it got really dark. And at 3 o'clock, the sun came back out. And it was just, just that, that sense like, whoa, this is real. This really happened. He died for us. And at the moment, the end of verse 50 there, he cried out again with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That veil was, in, in, the, in the scriptures, is a, is a type of the body of Christ. And as his body was broken and gave up the ghost, it was torn in half from top to bottom. That's very significant and it means several things. But first of all, if, and I'm not going to turn there for time, but if you want to write down a couple of scriptures, I always like to give our folks extra scriptures to do homework on. But if you look in Exodus 26... Verses 31 to 34 talks about the makeup of the, the, the veil, the, the, the curtain that was between the holies and the holy of holies. It was somewhere between, historians say, somewhere between one and four inches thick. Now, I, I've, I've had some t-shirts before that I've worn for many years that if you pulled them out of the wash, you could just rip them like that. They were not one to four inches thick, Okay. That, that veil, it, it wasn't like a, a priest got mad and went in there and, and ripped it by hand. You, you, that just wasn't humanly possible. It was 30 feet by 30 feet by 30 feet. 30 feet by 30. I think I added an extra 30 in there. Sorry. It wasn't a cube, okay? It was a curtain. Um, but there was a significance that only one time a year 
did the priest go to the other side of that veil? And it was on the Day of Atonement. And that date is, is set, and I'm not going to turn there again, but I'll give you Leviticus 16, verse 2, and then verses 29 to 31. And it was set, as, and it says a couple times in that passage, that it was a permanent statute. That, that for the people, the priest was to only go in there once a year. And, and that Day of Atonement, was, was, he, was to, he was to come into the presence of God himself and, and meet with him there. This day, as you will find there, uh, was uh, the 10th day of the 7th month on the Hebrew calendar. And that day today they celebrate, and it's on our calendar as Yom Kippur. And that this year is like September 24th to 25th, from a few minutes before sundown on the 24th to a few minutes after sundown on the 25th. And that's when the Jews will celebrate the Day of Atonement. But what was that Day of Atonement? Turn, if you would, with me to Hebrews. I'm going to stay in, in Hebrews for a few minutes, but I, I may bounce just between a couple of verses, and I'll try to keep you informed of what verses I'm reading from. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1, Now even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship in the earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. And behind the second veil, the veil that we're talking about that was torn when Christ yielded his spirit, there was a, a tabernacle which is called the holy of holies having a golden altar of incense in the Ark of the Covenant, covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna, and Aaron's rod which budded, and the tables of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Now the cherubim were also woven into the curtain, but this is specifically the, the cherubim sitting overshadowing the mercy seat, still in verse 5. But of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things have been thus prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship, but into the second only, the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. Now there's a Jewish tradition, you won't find this in the scriptures, but there's the Jewish tradition that that one day a year, when the priest went into the Holy of Holies, uh, they, they would tie a rope, some say around his waist, some of the traditions say around an ankle. So that if he died while he was in there, if he displeased God, if he did something wrong, if he didn't follow all the rules, he would die. And when this was first established back in Exodus, you'll notice that it comes right after the section where Aaron's two sons were, were struck down because they gave improper fire. And so they, they, that's, they, they understood that this was a very serious matter. And so they would, they would tie a rope, again, either around his, his waist or an ankle, in case he did something wrong and died in there. Nobody else could go in and get him so they could pull him out. That's how serious this was to be taken. Chapter, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, 
He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You'll bounce over to chapter 10 with me of Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 19. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. Again, that picture of the veil, even in Old Testament time, being the body, the actual body of Christ, that it was a type of the body of Christ. So, when his flesh was rent, uh, he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. If you come Sunday morning, that's what you'll hear more of, is that what God says he does, he does. When the veil was ripped, the, the significance of that is that it gives each one of us direct access to God. We don't have to go to a priest anymore we each have direct access to God to come into his presence to meet with him to commune with him to cry with him to tell him what's on our hearts to confess our sins to share the joys that he gives us in life that veil is, is, was gone but it's, it's interesting because the, some of the priests, they either sewed it back up or they made a new one because their, their practices in the tabernacle continued for another 40 years after Christ's death. We've talked about that in our study in the book of Acts, that the Pharisees were trying to drag them back into the, to the law. That they said, oh, you guys can't become Christian. Gentiles can become Christians, but you've got to become a Jew first. You've got to be circumcised first. And this, the tearing of the curtain says, no. No, we have direct access to the Father. We don't have to follow the law. And, and for those of us that, that are, are from this church, please help me out here. Because in Acts, many times we said that there are three things that God or that Christ fulfilled by coming and dying on the cross for us. First of all, He fulfilled the He fulfilled the law, He fulfilled the temple, and He fulfilled prophecy. And this is exactly what's happening here: is He is fulfilling the law. We don't have to do all those things that they did to be saved, to 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 come under the 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 umbrella of God's love we don't have to do those things 
as, as Brian mentioned earlier. It's through grace, through faith in Christ. It's what he did for us, not what we can do. But when that veil was torn, it gave us direct access to the Holy of Holies, to the God of this universe, the God, the creator, and the Savior. He, he wants us to, to have a relationship with him, not to have a religion. One thing we know in the, in the scriptures that there are not denominations. I think denominations, if God ever cries, it might be one of the things he cries over. Because we tear each other apart and we don't have fellowship with other believers. This, this right here is the only church constitution we need. It's the word of God. It's the truth. It's what truth is. Not what men say about it. Not, not what, what uh, think of the Mormons and some other Seventh-day Adventists, I think, that, that, that received other visions and words from God. Sorry. His word is right here. This is truth. And this is what we compare by. It's what I always challenge the people of church. That if they, if, you know, if you get one of these kind of, that didn't sound quite right. What do you do? Go to the word. I, I, I beg you to trust and believe in this more than what you hear me say. And if there's ever anything that I say that's contrary to this, you better call me out on it. Because God's word is truth. And we have direct access to God because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Folks, there is nothing that you can do to get to heaven. Ain't none of us good enough. Even the best that we can do is as filthy rags. But Jesus Christ died for you. He died for me. He died for every one of us. And he did it because he loves us. You need to understand that it's because of what he's done for us that we can have salvation. And if you don't know Jesus, see me or Brian or somebody else after the service that you know that does know Jesus, and we'd be happy to, to share with you and tell you and, and get more into God's word and show you what God has done for you. Stand with me and we'll sing a 